Okay, well, we do have a couple of announcements before we get going. Um, the um, men's monthly breakfast is next Saturday. If you do you go to that in Goodfield, no. so that's next Saturday. Um, and then also, there's a newcomers breakfast. Do we have anybody? Enough? We have any newcomers? No. Okay, don't even worry about that either. All right. I'm all tangled up in my wire. <clears throat> all right. No, I'm having so much trouble with this thing today. Anyway, so let's um, let's open with prayer. Dear holy and gracious Lord, it is our great joy to come before you to learn your word. And Lord, as we've been talking throughout this um, this quarter, uh, that our focus on our prayer should be to know you better, to come to know you better. And um, so Lord, we just pray that you would do that, that you would be with us, that your spirit would be here with us now. Uh, we claim that promise that when we gather in your name, that you are with us. And so Lord, we just pray that you would open our ears to hear and open our eyes that we might see the truth of your word and that we may come to grow closer to you. And so we just pray that you would guide us here this morning and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so um, last time we spent um, some more time on the index, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we came to recognize that this is a call for radical transformation of the world, right? That, that God's will be done on earth as is in heaven is a radical call to change the, the world. But more importantly, it's a radical call to change ourselves. Um, and so looking then at our circumstances of our faith journey from a perspective that allows God to change us so that our will becomes his will. And so we look at, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as a function of what we do and, um, and how the Lord's using us. And so we looked at, um, in the Colossians 1, where Paul speaks of his prayer for the people in Colossae. And we identified several aspects of his prayer, which included commending them for their faith, and for their love for others, right? That's the second greatest commandment, to love others. And then for their spreading the gospel and for changing hearts. And then Paul instructed them, and then us, by preservation of, of his prayer and his writing, that their love from other, or for others, when they love others, that is a gift from the Spirit, from the Holy Spirit. So that is certainly within the realm of things we can pray for when we have those conflicts so we could pray that we could love so-and-so better um, and then within this prayer then Paul asked God to give them complete knowledge of his will and to give them spiritual wisdom and understanding that's a great thing and through this wisdom and understanding then they would be able to live lives that honor the Lord and produce good fruit Okay, so then he also told them they had been rescued from the kingdom of darkness, this world. They were rescued from the kingdom of darkness from this world and transferred to the kingdom of heaven. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, so in this case, this personal radical transformation going on in the people of Colossae. 
And then we recognize this is the essence of may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We then followed up then with um, Romans 12, uh, 1 and 2, by seeing, that we, by seeing that we need to allow God to transform us away from the will of the world, the kingdom of darkness, toward the will of heaven. And to do so requires that we let God transform us, that we give him permission, in other words, to, to be humble and say, Lord, mold me. You are the potter, I am the clay. And so this is the, the prayer that we would say, Lord, I am willing, I am teachable, mold me. And so and then as we strive to bring the will of God to earth, uh, it's important that we see that our existence, or we see our existence rather, from a heavenly perspective and, and not a worldly perspective. Again, that's within the topic of Pastor Kevin's sermon today as well. Um, and God points us then to his holy scripture to find his will. Where we find his will, he's given it to us, mostly. Um, so we have this recording of his teaching, of his instruction, that we can find direction. So God gives us these moral guide rails um, to govern our decisions because many of the small decisions that we make have eternal consequences. Okay, so that's, that was last week. So do we have any questions about any of that? Is that all settling well? Okay. All right, so today we're going to spend just a few more minutes and we're going to wrap up then... Um, May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then we're going to march onward toward our daily bread. All right, so today then, um, we're, we're still kind of finishing up. So we talked a few weeks ago about <clears throat> um, remaining in Jesus and he will remain in us. Right, abide in me and I will abide in you. And that was a key point in understanding God's will. If we are in, in Jesus, if we're remaining in Jesus and he's in us, then we're going to have a better understanding of God's will because that's where our focus is, right? And then we read from John 15, in that same passage, Jesus says, um, But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. So when we know him, we can discern his will in many circumstances. There's a lot of times... We really don't have to pray. We know the right thing. We may need to pray for the strength to do the right thing, but we know the right thing often. All right, and so um, if we look at Proverbs 2, um, we will see what Paul spoke of in Colossians when we read the suffered last night. This is, we're going to see this, this same kind of notion here in Proverbs 2. In what Paul wrote and prayed to the, for the Colossians or the people of Colossae is really just an echo of this passage in Proverbs. So if let's look at Proverbs 2, and we're going to read verses 1 through 12. <clears throat> okay, Proverbs 2, starting at verse 1. My child, listen to what I say and treasure my commands. 
turn your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord, and you will gain knowledge of God. For the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He grants a treasure of common sense to the honest. He is a shield to those who walk with integrity. He guards the paths of the just and protects those who are faithful to him. Then you will understand what is right, just, and fair. And you will find the right way to go. For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will fill you with joy. Wise choices will watch over you. Understanding will keep you safe. Wisdom will save you from evil people, from those whose words are twisted. Okay, so we see an instruction to seek out wisdom and understanding, but to seek it out with great fervor, to, to boldly look for this, to seek it out, search for it, wisdom and understanding. Same thing we had Paul praying for the people in Colossians. And so then once we seek it and find it, wisdom and understanding, right? We will understand his will. When we, so when we pray, when we pray well, how, what is your will? Well, we can find it. it it's, it's detectable. And so we can understand his will, but even greater, his wisdom will enter our hearts. So just like um, our faith and, and the spirit that's in us, now wisdom, when we seek it, will be entered into our heart. So again, when we come across those places where we need to make decisions, a lot of times we will know what the right choice is. It's in our hearts. Now, this is that radical transformation that we've talked about, right? It's now in our hearts, that's pretty radical. And this is what leads to wise choices in our circumstances. And in verse 9, it says, Then you will understand what is right, just, and fair. Pastor Kevin's sermon of the day, he talks about um, lustful hearts and, and, and our own self-interest, our own self-desire, right? And so... This says that our, we're going to understand what is right, just, and fair. And what does God require of us? Remember Micah? We talked about Micah 6, 8, you know, several weeks ago. And that reads, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you to do, what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what God puts on our hearts. So that these things just come natural to us. The putting on, as Pastor Kevin was saying. And then, so once again here, we see this harmony of the scripture. That from the beginning to the end, everybody's saying the same things. They're saying it in different ways, saying it in different people. 
um, but they're saying it in the, they're saying the same things. And so here we've talked about Solomon, we've talked about Micah, we've talked about Jesus, we've talked about Paul, all of them saying the same thing, recording the same concept over all of those centuries. God's word doesn't change. It's faithful. It's true, right? And so we can go to it and say, well, yeah, but that was written by a bunch of dusty old guys. Well, there were some really, really, really dusty old guys when Paul was writing this stuff and when Jesus was writing this stuff. And we think those guys are dusty, but, you know, Solomon is really dusty. It was relevant then. It's relevant now. Okay. And so then... Um, in verse 3, then, of Proverbs 2, it uh, tells us to cry out for insight and to ask for understanding. Again, the same thing Paul was pray, preaching for or praying for. So pray for this. We, you know, this we, we pray for this if you want to seek God's will. If you want God's will to be done on earth, if you want to be radically changed, this is what you pray. Pray for insight. Ask for understanding. So this is what, we're, what we read in Romans even uh, last week, right, in Romans 12, that was, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Okay? It's the same thing. Just said a different way. So we're seeing then that in order to seek God's will, we are to seek out God's wisdom. Okay, we're going to look one more passage to emphasize this point. We're looking at Psalm 32 at, uh, in verses 8 and 9. So Psalm 32, 8 and 9. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. So the Lord will guide us. But first we need to seek him. Right? That's what, we're, that's what we've been reading here. For in order to seek that guidance or to get that guidance, we have to go find him. We have to seek him. And we talked about last week too. We can seek it. Jesus said, if you seek it, you can find it. So it's attainable. You can get it. And so here we're going to ask for the Lord to seek it, or we're going to ask to seek him. And when we do that, this wisdom and understanding comes upon our hearts. And understanding God's will is much easier. So we can pray for the kinds of things that we know are within God's will. And so most, um, well, let me start with back a little bit here. The psalmist is saying that without seeking the Lord's counsel, we're like a stupid animal, right? We don't know where to go. Somebody has to tell us. Somebody has to jerk our bridle, right? Or pull the bit to stop us. No, don't go, don't go there. Stop. Pull the bit back. Or you, you know, tap the bridle, um, or slap the bridle across their neck, tell them which way to go, right? They need direction, right? And so he's saying, don't be like that. Don't be like the idiot horse and the mule that doesn't know what to do or to, where to go. Um, seek the Lord. And yet what we find is what seems so ridiculous, this notion of, of having a bit and bridle. But that's precisely what the circumstance the majority of people are in. 
They're just kind of wandering. They think they're, they think they're going the right way. They think they're doing the good thing or the right thing. But they're not. And so, but not only today, this has been all throughout history, this has been the case. And so most of us do not seek the Lord's counsel. And, and when we do that or when we don't do that, we're unwittingly um, subject to the waves and the tumult of the world, right? Because we're just kind of wandering out there and we just react to what's happening. And that's where we get in trouble. That's where we become real worldly, is when we're just reacting to what's happening. All right, so I want to, um, to kind of close this discussion on thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, with just a couple of thoughts, all right? So I've come to this passage from the perspective that the Lord is teaching us to pray that our thoughts and our desires would come to be more in line with those of his, right? And so, as we often say, Lord, let me be a little bit more like Jesus today. All right, this is what this passage is about. And this translates into things, or the things that we want, are the things that God wants. In essence, it's God's will being done on earth through us. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay? So we pray then for understanding to know God better and to have ears to hear and eyes to see that we might not be like that horse that needs the bit and bridle. So we operate then under this moral will of God, but we are free to make our own choices. Let me throw out a thought that you probably never considered. Where do evil come from? Okay, so you would probably answer from Satan, and that would be correct, right? So where, where do evil come from? From Satan. All right, um, did you ever think about where evil originated? From Satan, but where? He was in heaven. Satan was in heaven when he rebelled. Lucifer. And he rebelled in heaven, saying that I will be like the Most High. Now, he must have been pretty convincing. He must have been a pretty good politician, because he convinced a third of the angels in heaven. Keep in mind, a third of the angels in heaven sided with Lucifer. This caused God to throw them out, to cast them out of heaven. And they now, most of them, dwell among us. Now the scripture does tell us that some are so bad, some of these these fallen angels, literally, are fallen angels. Well, not really fallen, they're cast out angels. But these angels, some of them are so bad that God already has them in the pit. They're already locked up. Some of them, the worst of them, are already locked up. But there's still thousands and thousands of them on earth. 
angels, former angels. This happened in heaven. Let's take it one step further. Okay, so where did human sin originate? And you would answer, oh, with Eve in the garden, right? And you're right, that's true. Okay, so where was God at that time? Where was God when Eve took the apple? Or the fruit, whatever it was, the banana, the kumquat, whatever it was. God was with them in the garden. So, how can this be? How can evil and sin originate right there where God is? Factor means it did. Scripture tells us this. This happens because God gives us choice. He lets us decide. What happened when Lucifer decided the wrong thing? What happened when Eve and Adam decided the wrong thing? When they both knew, or both circumstances, they knew the truth. <clears throat> well, evil overcomes the world. Sin indwells now all of us. We all are sinful people because of these two events that happened in God's presence. We have choice. And God says, you have a choice, but I have given you this instruction book. I have told you this is the way to avoid all these problems. We pray for understanding, for God's will. He tells us to seek Him with great fervor, so that when we make those decisions, they are made from wisdom, from understanding, and from knowledge. And when we do these things, when we do His things, our will becomes His will, or vice versa. His will becomes our will. We want to do in our heart, from our heart, what God would want us to do because we are now more in line. We now have prayed for understanding. We prayed for His wisdom. We prayed for His knowledge. We don't make the same decision that Eve made. Or we hope. Our will becomes His will, and thus may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven becomes fulfilled. So pray for and seek God's will to be in your heart. Okay? So any questions then as we're going to wrap up and close up um, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So any questions about any of that stuff? We've spent like three weeks on that, I think.
All right. Well, we're going to turn our attention then to give us this day our daily bread. Um, that's how the King James and the ESV render um, Matthew 6. And then the, the New Living Translation, which I use, renders that, give us today the food we need, which is a far different interpretation. And that's from Matthew 6. Now Luke 11, the other place where we find the Lord's Prayer, Luke 11 records this statement as, give us day by day our daily bread. That's King James. And then give us each day our daily bread in the, in the English Standard Version. And then the New Living is give us each day the food we need. Okay, so these are slightly different versions of the same thing. Um, so up to this point, the Lord's Prayer has been focused upon God's interests. And now we're going to look at, you know, if we think about this, it was our Father uh, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come, your will be done. All right, so this was God's interests. But now we have this, this uh, we kind of pivot here. So we've looked at this um, praise and worship and transformation of the hearts of people. And now we're going to look at the needs of our human circumstance. Right? And by and large, right, this is, this is the area that we tend to land on when we're praying. This, our daily needs, right? Um, and now the, the New Living Translation, again, that's the translation I use, um, seems to focus upon seeing bread as limited to food. Now, most translations do not place that limitation on it. And I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't think it needs to be placed there. You know, I'm a Bible scholar. But in... Um, just in having studied this over the years, it seems like an unusual interpretation. So, but let's look at first then, so what other contexts do we see bread as being important? All right, so let's, um, let's start by turning to Exodus 16, just this one verse, 16, 4. Um, just, a, just a brief moment, we don't need to spend much time here. Exodus 16, 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. This is the part we don't, we don't always recognize, this next part. That I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Okay. This is the familiar manna from heaven. Right? This is the story of the, the Exodus, and the people are marching out of Egypt, and God says, I'm going to feed you. I'm going to give you bread from heaven. This is that story. But where we often don't notice this is this, that I may test them. Whether they will walk in my law or not. So we see here that God is trying again for the umpteenth time, and he's going to do it six jillion times after this, um, to teaching his people to trust him. Trust me. This, this goes on throughout all the Old Testament, through all the kings, through all the judges, through all the time. 
just trust me. And we still don't get it, right? We still haven't learned it. So that's what this is about, right? So um, God's going to supply the bread they need for sustenance to show that they can rely solely on him. He is going to rain down from heaven bread. How often? Off to the He says, um, I want to rain down for me bread for you, and each day you go out and get your portion. All right? So he's going to give them enough bread for each day. Give me this day my daily bread. So, what are we supposed to pray? Give us this day. God emphasizes this is a test. Will we trust in Him to deliver? Will we trust in to obey Him? Or will we do things in our own power? This is a test. So if we were to travel a little further in history by looking at Deuteronomy 8, we will see this is clarified for us. And this also was quoted by our Lord in Matthew chapter 4. This is Deuteronomy 8, verses 2 and 3. <clears throat> so he says, Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, for those, yeah, for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. For all these 40 years, your clothes didn't wear out and your feet didn't blister or swell. Okay, so God said back when in Exodus, he says, I'm going to do this to test you. All right, now in Deuteronomy, he said, okay, this was the test. Um, he gave you this stuff you had. It was foreign. You'd never seen it before. It never happened before. And God's sending it down to you every day. And by golly, you were out there all those years, and you were walking and walking, and you didn't get your soles of your feet didn't get all wore out, and your clothes didn't wear out. Trust me. I will provide each day. So we have a God who will provide. It may not be in the abundance we would like, that our fleshly selves would like, but it'll be what we need for that day. And by trusting in him, he will sustain us. So I think of, a, of the hymn, I need thee every hour, right? So this is, this is, give me this day. But even more so, Lord, I need you this hour and the next hour and the next hour, each hour by hour, we need. And depending on our circumstances, those times when we're in a trial, we're in a valley, where it's minute by minute. Trust. So as we looked, um, look into the scripture, we see this theme about bread and life 
being linked together. Okay, and so, um, and we can have, a, there's really a more in-depth perspective of how these things are linked together. And we can turn to John um, chapter 6 to kind of get um, a couple of uh, sense for this. A couple of passages I want to look at here in John chapter 6. So we're talking about um, bread, our daily bread, and how it's linked to life, right? And so we saw in the um, Deuteronomy passage and Jesus and later in the New Testament where he says we don't live by bread alone but by every word but by the very word of God. So it's the word of God that sustains us and the bread is our, our bodily function. So anyway, so in this first um, passage in John chapter 6, okay, um, it reads, they're speaking to Jesus, they answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna when they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who came down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Okay. So this is a familiar passage, right? We've heard this. We know this. So is bread then a physical sustenance or a spiritual necessity? Do we pray for food or do we pray for the true bread of heaven? Jesus is going to link this petition, this um, give us this day our daily bread. He's going to link that with the petition of may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven in this next passage. So he's going to link these two things together for us. So if we look at that, uh, starting at verse 47 in John 6, um, let me get there. That's a little bit longer than I wanted to. Okay. So John 6, starting at verse 47. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Where'd manna come from? Manna came down from heaven too, right? So anyway, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever, and this bread which I will offer so the world may live is my flesh. Then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. True drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. 
Well, that sounds familiar, right? Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me in the same way. Anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread and will, will not die as your ancestor did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. Well, what's our daily bread? What seems so easy? Yeah, I need some food today. All of a sudden becomes a little different perspective when Jesus talks about bread from heaven and talks about in the same breath of manna from heaven. So the New Living Translation, which I use, would say, oh, that's just bread, sustenance bread. But Jesus isn't really saying that. <coughs> so what does it mean then to pray for our daily bread? Let's, let's, let's pause here. If the case, is, anybody have any questions or thoughts or comments? This seems kind of a, a radical pivot here. He refers to things that we um, we look at as our needs. Yes. He looks at the physical thing because you, know, you think of the woman at the well. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, he was, he's living water. And she won't go to Right. She asked for it, right? She said, give me that. Yeah, so Jesus, being Jesus, makes all things spiritual. And, you know, I always, I, I always love the notion that Jesus lived for eternity, right? All the things he did, he was doing with an eternal perspective. else? Are there any other thoughts or questions or anything? No? Well, Jesus has more to say um, about daily bread. And so if we turn to Matthew 6, um, we'll look at, again, a familiar passage that reinforces all of this stuff that we've been talking about. Um, so Matthew 6, starting in verse 25. <clears throat> All right. So here we're teaching, Jesus teaching about worrying. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your bodily body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, 
he will certainly care for you. Why do you have such little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Again, a very familiar passage. We look at it now from the perspective of our Lord's Prayer, and He's teaching us to pray. And we, as we go through, well, what is He teaching us to pray about? What do these things mean, right? So um, we think back to that passage in Exodus that we read earlier. You'll recall God was testing His people, right? Would they trust Him? Jesus, again, is making that plea. Trust in God. Why, why do you have such little faith? Look around at God's provision. Look around. It's all right here. Can't you see his faithfulness? What's Jesus tell us? Eh, don't worry. God knows what you need. But seek him first, right? We've seen this over and over. Seek him first. Live righteously and God will provide. So again, Jesus points our focus away from ourselves and toward God, away from our physical toward the spiritual. Earlier, way earlier in the quarter, we talked about God already knowing what we need, right? We, he, he tells us, he, he already knows what you need. He knows what we need before we ever ask. And so we, we address this notion by recognizing that God wants us to humble ourselves in recognition that all we have is a gift from God. He knows what we need, but he wants us to humble ourselves to acknowledge, yes, I am needy. And he wants us to make this declaration of our complete dependence upon him. This is the pride thing, right? We have to get past this pride that I made it, I built it, I worked for it. All of it is a gift from God and that we are wholly inadequate on our own. He knows what we need, but he says, hey, ask for it anyway. And by the way, keep asking. Keep knocking. Keep seeking. He teaches us to pray Give us this day. He doesn't say, teach us to pray for enough money for the next 10 years, the next money for enough food for the next five years, the next week, or whatever. It's pray for this day. He provided how much manna? Enough for this day. Jesus says, Worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. Don't worry about today. We cannot store up what we need from God. We just can't. Our circumstance with God yesterday is different than our circumstance with God today. 
and will be different than our circumstance with God tomorrow. Give us this day. We need to come to God each day. And God sustains us one day at a time. We come to God each day for nourishment, assurances, guidance. D.L. Moody um, sums up, I, I put on your notes sheet, uh, he wrote that a man can no more take a supply of grace for the future than he can eat enough to last him for the next, right? So we eat and yet we're hungry tomorrow. We get grace today, but it doesn't sustain us through tomorrow or next week or next year or the next relationship or the next conversation. We are wholly and totally dependent upon God. I need thee every hour. God doesn't give us his strength in advance. He gives it to us when we need it at that time. So Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Give us this day. I'll give you manna for this day. So, we're kind of framing this. What does this, um, this index mean when we say, give us this day our daily bread? And so we'll, we'll spend some more time with this uh, next time. But I just want to get your, get your minds thinking that this is more than just a sandwich. In fact, the sandwich is like the least of it. You know, where Jesus is linking these things together for us, the bread of life. And so um, we'll spend a little more time with this and uh, kind of work our way through that. So, all right, um, any questions or comments on that? No? All right. Well, let's pray then. We'll close things up here. Our Father, you are so gracious to bend your ear to hear us that while you reign in heaven, that your radiance illuminates all of creation and Lord we are resistant in our human condition Lord we are are prideful and it just seems unworthy un, unmanly to have to seek you for everything we think Lord that we can do this on our own in our pride, we, we, we think we're independent. But Lord, you teach us differently, and you teach us to seek you, and you teach us that we need to rely upon you, that, that you are faithful and true, and that you test us, that we might acknowledge our dependence upon you. And so Lord, we just pray that you would mold our hearts, you would change our hearts, that your wisdom would fill us with this truth 
that we could break down our pride and humble ourselves before you. Lord, there, there are many concerns upon our hearts in these in troubled times. Lord, we know that, um, that you are in control. And so, Lord, we just pray that our faith and our trust would be in you, that we might have the joy of the hope of eternity as our overriding attitude. So, Father, we pray then as we part our fellowship today that, that what we do and what we say would bring glory to you and that we would seek your wisdom and your understanding and all knowledge from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at that. No squeaks or anything from the baby. He did. Yeah.